The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to an hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Well, hello, food lovers. A delicious Sunday to you. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio. This is your culinary culture and lifestyle show and an easy way to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment. Set your gastronomic sights higher and feed your insatiable appetite just by staying tuned. We have a full hour of delicious conversation and fabulous food, and it starts right here and right now. Seeing that today is a big game day. In fact, fabulous football in the works. And since Super Bowl is quickly approaching, we have lots of game day snacks, including dips, wings, and drinks, along with some recipes for romance for the upcoming holiday of Valentine's Day posted on the website, where we're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. But we thought we'd kick off (coughs) Sunday's conversation today with some serious snack talk. Right, Lana? Yes, there will be no shortage of ideas for anyone's next football party. And isn't that true? So we're all about dips and dippers and everything that armchair quarterbacks need zero silverware for. That's what I'm all about. I think everything tastes absolutely so delicious when from your hands, from your fingers. And so we're all about chips and dip, but we're all about elevating them. So I wanted to share with you some homemade barbecue sweet potato chips that I've been making over the past week, which, Lana, I love that you loved, because I'm taking potato chips to a whole new level. I am planning for 2014 for a potato chip and popcorn revolution. And we've talked a lot about popcorn and savory and sweet flavors, but so much better than the store-bought variety. Why not consider making your own this season? So when it comes to sweet potato chips, I like to start with scrubbed clean and patted dry sweet potatoes and then slice them as thin as possible using a mandolin or a very sharp knife and then I like to fry them in hot oil either in a pot on top of the stove or if you have a deep fat fryer at 350 degrees they take about four to five minutes then what I like to do is make my own barbecue mix a combination of smoked paprika onion powder garlic salt, a little brown sugar, uh, some good quality chili powder, preferably ancho or chipotle for that really great depth of flavor, right? And yes. then I like a little bit of heat, so I'll throw in a little bit of cayenne on the back bite. And when the sweet potato chips, along with salt and pepper in the mix, by the way, come out of the fryer, I sprinkle them while they're still hot and porous with the barbecue mix. And I think you have the ultimate dipper. By the way, I'm going to post the barbecue rub or the dry barbecue mix on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. Mm. Now, did you peel those potatoes? I didn't. And it's a great question because all the nutrients plus uh, that dichotomy of texture from the skin of the potatoes actually comes from the peel. And so no need to peel them at all. Just scrub, dry, and slice. Sounds delicious. Okay, so do you have anything delicious to dip them in? (gasps) Uh, Quite a few things, starting with a (laughs) buffalo chicken dip. Oh, see, we're all about buffalo chicken in this family, so bring it on. And one of my Cook with Lana recipes last year was a baked caramelized onion dip. 
Yeah, and one that I love because it takes onion dip to a whole new level. And there's something about slow, golden, caramelized onions that satisfy that umami flavor for all of us. I love that you make a roasted caramelized onion dip as well, one where after you caramelize the onions, mm-hmm. you finish the dip in the oven. Yes, exactly. So you get bubbly, mm. delicious goodness. And I will say, I think dips and chip chips rather are one of those sort of football fairs that allow you to get all the way through the game with snackables. Mm, they are so wonderful. Now, I'm also about the potato skin this season. Oh. And I never met anybody that didn't love a bacon blue cheeseburger. What, you, that's what you're filling it with this year? Oh, yes, I'll be I there. Am. Okay, so a simple twist on the classic loaded potato skin. I actually sautéed or browned up some good quality ground beef, added the crispy double-smoked bacon that we love, and then filled those potato skins and finished them with a blue cheese, either dressing or sauce of your choice, preferably one homemade, which needs just simple, you know, buttermilk, sour cream, crumbled blue. And by the way, it always needs a dash or two of Worcestershire Mm. and a drop or two of lemon juice, and you've got the ultimate blue cheese sauce. But talk about a potato skin that will rock your world. Now, that is a football snack. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Doesn't that sound good? Wow. What else you got? How about, um, oh, my God, there's so much to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) A, A bacon jalapeno cheese ball. Oh, you know, we love a cheese ball. You taught me Mm -hmm. to love a cheese ball. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can make a cheese ball from a multitude of ingredients. A cheese ball is great. Leftover cheeses. Yeah, it's like the last three Mm -hmm. bites of the Parmesan, a little Mm -hmm. bit of the cheddar, you know, all the wedges that are left over. And you can roll it in anything. During the holidays, you were rolling in hazelnuts or red walnuts, Yes, yes, I was. But don't forget to add chopped up cooked bacon and pickled jalapenos chopped Mm. up in there. Love it. Would add a nice kick. Oh, I think Craig would love that one, too. Yes. And how about your crab rangoon? Oh, see, now, okay, I love a wonton anything. And that actually takes me, by the way, the crab rangoon recipe posted at chefjamie.com, where we're always serving up seconds. Lots of delicious inspiration there. Check out the Cook with Lana recipe this week, in fact, because it is wonton-inspired as well. And one of the amazing things about a wonton wrapper is it can transform itself into just about anything. Mm-hmm. The brilliance of a wonton wrapper is that it's store-bought, but that it could take a filling of leftover rotisserie chicken mixed mm-hmm. with ricotta cheese and finished with a red sauce, and they call it a ravioli. If you filled it with crab and cream cheese and fried the triangles, you get a crab rangoon. Uh- or if you're you... My chicken's pot stickers are very Chinese. Yes, you make Asian delicacies. Yes. That's right. But you could... Do it with ground pork as well. Yes, and you can and even with, shrimp, raw shrimp. Say. Throw it in the Cuisinart, mince very fine. Right, and make, make really a seafood, grind it up like a seafood paste. Mm-hmm. A great thing to do, by the way, with shrimp or crab as well. And I love the simplicity of a pot sticker, preferably one homemade. I'm going back to the buffalo flavor profile. I was thinking of doing buffalo chicken pot stickers. <gasps> Ooh. I'm gonna take a twist on the Asian and go made in the USA. And what would your dipping sauce be oh it would have to be a little creamy something spicy Maybe. blue cheese like <gasps> your blue cheese oh, we talked about wait perfect with a squiggle of sriracha wow now it's sriracha blue cheese baby oh, oh there I'm we go it. i am so going to my house for there the we go <laughs> now don't forget with the chicken pot stickers uh you could either f- fry them on one side 
Right. Or do double sides. Double, well, you pan saute them, right? Yes, Not yes. deep fry. Yeah. Although oh, you could. Yes. Lots it, of different ways. Exactly. I like your twice brown, it's let's for, say. It's for right? an extra crunch. Yeah, well. There we go. Makes them taste delicious, mm-hmm. too. Um, speaking of delicious, we know that it is cold in many places across the country. So we wanted to offer our chillier friends, as we are here based in Southern California, with some ideas for keeping warm and warming the soul. The Think Like a Chef feature posted this week on the website is all about chowder. <laughs> yes, loaded chowder. In fact, that rich, creamy soup full of chunks of ingredients that is definitely like a meal in a bowl. We love chowders. And in the past, it was actually considered to be poor man's food. It had a, a history that was centuries old, and it continues. Interestingly enough, chowder has its roots in the Latin word, which originally meant uh, a place for warming things, caldiria. And it later came to mean cooking pot. And it's come a long way. The French have elevated chowder. Chowder, of course, adding seafood and from the fishing villages along the coast of France from Bordeaux to Brittany, chowder came to be. Well, here in the U.S., there's no doubt that a fish chowder is the forerunner with clam chowder being the most popular served today. But chowder doesn't have to include seafood for that matter. It could be whatever you're using up like corn and beans or chicken, ham, potatoes. They can all be the star in this wonderful filling soup. I've made some notes for a twist on the traditional chowder and some chef's tips. In fact, one of which I love is to always start with bacon because bacon makes everything better. And one that you do, Lana, which I think is brilliant as a substitute for diced potato. Oh, yes. And that is potato gnocchi. Mm -hmm. Whether you make your own or store-bought, those little pillowy dumplings make for a beautiful addition to a chowder and a really nice substitution for diced potatoes. The so texture is that. wonderful. For sure. I love a corn and bacon chowder, a lobster and corn chowder, mm. a corn and crab chowder. Me too. I happen to love a creamy vegetable chowder, and I do mine with root vegetables, mm. and you get the viscosity or the thickness of the chowder when you puree some, but you leave some of the vegetables chunky as well. It's a wonderful meatless Monday, very filling meal, and again, that recipe in our recipe section at chefjamie.com. We've also posted the weekly dish, and it's all about a barbecue glazed baby back rib baby with a homemade orange teriyaki sauce. I don't think it gets any better than that, and I never met a football fan that didn't love to gnaw on some ribs. And mastering the art of grilling ribs, I think, is really um, the secret to flavor infusion. I actually roast mine first in the oven in aluminum foil to create steam so that they are moist and juicy. And then I like to finish them on the grill for smoky, fabulous flavor and glaze them for caramelization. And if it's too cold to go outside... You put on your Uggs and (laughs) just fight it, right? But in the (laughs) oven, you take off the foil. Right, and you can actually use the broiler while you glaze. That's a really good idea. Or turn the heat up all the way, and you can do them completely indoors. I I respect entirely, no matter how diehard a griller you are, that weather does... have its effects. Yes. With that said, you might be able to warm yourself with something sweet by request. Mark, I have posted a warm butter cake recipe for you to thrill your football friends. Mm. It is that almost famous butter cake from the restaurant here on the West Coast, or you've seen your favorite Food Network star make it in the Southern style. Utterly delicious. And if you've never made a butter cake before, it's a cream cheese batter topped with a cream cheese layer. And I think it's out of this world. Oh, it is sensational. I've written a recipe that I think is foolproof. 
So I hope you too will try it. Oh, I will. I will, but I have not had great results, so I look forward to yours. Oh, just you wait. Mini spring form pans with these beautiful butter cakes. Uh Yeah, an individual size. Oh, nice. Because football fans never like to share their cake. Exactly. Right? Exactly. A big scoop of vanilla ice cream, raspberry sauce, and a sprig of fresh mint, and you will be a culinary hero. And we are going to make you a culinary star in your own kitchen just by staying tuned. There's really delicious conversation coming up with a bevy of guests. Tony Abu Ghanim, he is the modern mixologist, is here, and he's delivering vodka distilled in the first part of our three-part series on my favorite spirit. Plus, restaurateur and chef Rick Bayless coming up on modern Mexican cuisine, his mole negro, and his love for chocolate. And finally, if you have certainly joined the bandwagon of the sriracha sensation, well, Lisa Kartzman of Roland Foods is going to share lots of hot stuff. Don't touch your dial. There's more delicious conversation in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, will be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Cheers to 2014. He is our resident cocktail guru, and we're proud to call him such. Tony Abu Ghanim is widely regarded as one of the pioneering and leading bar professionals in the world, having made hundreds of TV appearances on all of your favorite shows, having won three Iron Chef America competitions, and having graced this show for a many year now. We are delighted to have him back in 2014. And we're kicking off this year with a three-part series on vodka. Tony has recently released a book called Vodka Distilled. It is the modern mixologist on vodka and vodka cocktails. And for anyone that knows me or has listened to this show, you know I am a vodka girl. And so Lana and I are most delighted to certainly triumph with this conversation. As we kick off our three-part series, we welcome Tony Abu Ghanim back to the radio waves, and we're glad to have you. A very happy New Year, Tony. Uh, Jamie, great to be back on the show, Mm -hmm. and a happy uh, New Year to you and Lana. Oh, thank you. Same to you. As we kick off 2014, just give us your perspective, if you would, as to where we stand in the craft cocktail movement right now. Well, it has been an amazing year behind American bars. Uh, This year has really expanded the craft movement. We're seeing craft cocktail bars that normally you uh, are used to seeing in New York or San Francisco, Los Angeles, are popping up all over the country, really embracing the cocktail. I do think that we have pushed the envelope on creativity and the use of esoteric ingredients. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes I'm curious if we're using those ingredients simply for the sake of using those ingredients. Right. Lana, you were talking about one of my favorite vodka-based cocktails, mm-hmm. the Scorpino. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. fabulous drink, very simple ingredients, bringing those ingredients together in perfect harmony so you have complexity and balance, and you really appreciate the subtlety of the vodka in that cocktail. And, and I think that we're going to see more and more this direction, getting back to basic simplicities and really focusing on the base spirit. Mm, it tastes so much better than like a Long Island iced tea that just sort of jumps at you. This is so soft and lovely. Soft and lovely, you're right. And, and that, I think, is the key element, if you will, in great craft cocktails is putting that element of love into the drink. 
Well, that's what you've always been about, Tony. And as we talk about the food trends for 2014, I really like the idea of getting back to the basics with cocktails. I love the pure fruit essence that you believe in. I love the idea of using high-end spirits. And what I love about the new book is that what you've done is really analyzed the characteristics of vodka so that we can better understand it. So in this three-part series, we'll kick off with a better understanding of vodka. It will take us to a place where we can learn to taste with you and then in the end, host a vodka tasting party as well. And we'll talk about different brands, different styles, how to drink vodka, how to better understand it. But we have to start at the beginning. You talk about in the book at the beginning, in fact, how vodka is um, no doubt the most consumed spirit in the world. And interestingly enough, you say at the same time that it is one of the great marketing stories of the 20th century, um, as Dale mentions in the beginning. So take us from the beginning of the world of vodka till now. You're absolutely right. By far the most consumed spirit in the United States one out of four drinks that go across the American bar are vodka-based drinks. But yet, I believe that it is one of the most misunderstood spirit categories. The old saying that, well, all vodka is the same, is far from the truth. Vodka is the most difficult spirit to really analyze. And to do this, we need to start, like you said, at the beginning. An Eastern European spirit that was consumed neat. Vodka was drank in the East with food, really. It wasn't used in cocktails. With the repeal of Prohibition, vodka was introduced to the United States. We didn't drink vodka prior to that. That's why, Jamie, if you go back and study the old cocktail books, those published before Prohibition, it's hard to find any vodka-based cocktail recipes because most of those books were written in the United States, and we really didn't know vodka in this country until the repeal of prohibition. Breaking it down stylistically like I did in the book Vodka Distilled to look at the raw materials and how these contribute to the final character of the, each individual brand is, is very important. If, if you ask most of your friends who are not aficionados, if you will, on vodka, what vodka is made from, I would say at least half of them will say potato. And yes, potato is a raw material that vodka is fashioned from, but very small percentage of the vodkas that we know today uh, are made from potato. And I break it down by raw materials, so we list vodkas made from those raw materials, you'll find are made from wheat. Okay, so I want to talk about that process, and not to interrupt you, but vodka, as you say, is among the least complicated distillates to manufacture. So interestingly enough, it really is the simplest chemically when you break it down compared to whiskey or tequila or brandy, right? But its production stands out. And if you took wheat as the main ingredient or raw material, take us through the process of how it actually is distilled or created. A little point of reference. We mentioned wheat. Wheat is a softer grain. It's a sweeter grain. Think of wheat bread. Uh, And then think of rye. Rye is a much bolder, spicy big grain. Um, think of a Reuben sandwich on, on rye bread. And that's mm. the characteristics that the raw materials will ultimately bring to a vodka. Vodka made from rye, a well-distilled vodka, should have the characteristics of the grain itself, of the rye, where a wheat vodka will be a little softer, a little more approachable, a little 
notes of vanilla, high acidity, because there's such high acidity in wheat. So once you learn to taste and identify these subtle, and they are, Jamie, very subtle nuances in vodka, you can better enjoy that vodka. Uh, and this being said, a rye vodka, spicy, big, robust, works really well in savory-style drinks like a Bloody Mary, where something with notes of citrus may work better for you in your cosmopolitan or lemon drop or straight up with a twist of orange. Um, so by breaking it down and really identifying the raw materials in the vodka stylistically, it allows us the opportunity to enjoy that vodka. When you say enjoy the vodka, though, if we continue to discuss vodka at its core, you say the best way is to enjoy it neat. And this rule really applies to my food philosophy as well, Tony, and we talk about that on the radio often as well. You mentioned caviar in the book, or actually there's an entire feature in Vodka Distilled. And by the way, if you just tuned in, you're late because the cocktail genius Tony Abu Ghanem is here. Um, but I speak about caviar or some of the finer foods we have in life at room temperature to show its purest flavor versus very cold. And that same concept applies to understanding vodka better, enjoying it neat and the temperature at which you serve it. Yeah, Jamie, and I like to talk about the journey. And uh, <laughs> When I taste and evaluate vodkas and when writing Vodka Distilled, I tasted over a hundred vodkas from all over the world, from different raw materials. You're my idol. Mm. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to know <laughs> what did you drink in between each sip? That's a good question. More vodka. <laughs> <laughs> vodka to clear your palate, okay. and then vodka again. <laughs> there we go. I did it over three days, and I brought in some of my dear friends and. People that I respect their palates, Dale DeGroff, Steve Olson, Bridget Albert, three of the best tasters in the business. And we sat here at my house in Las Vegas, and we blind tasted all of the vodkas. So the notes come from a collaboration from the four of us, mm. and it was all done blind. So we didn't know that we were tasting Grey Goose when we were writing about Grey Goose. It, again, the notes all came from a blind tasting, so we were totally subjective in evaluating the vodkas. The 60 vodkas that ended up in the book, we didn't rate them. I think they're all fabulous products. And the thing we're going to talk about later in our final interview is the tasting. And when you taste things blind, the perception of the brand goes away. Mm -hmm. And you're simply judging on what is in the glass. When you say neat, is it on the rocks or just straight up? Again, when I'm evaluating, I do it all at room temperature, straight up, not cut with water, bottle strength. When I enjoy vodka for vodka's sake, I like to talk about the reveal. And I start off with the vodka out of the freezer. And as you know, when you put vodka in the freezer, the consistency changes. It takes on a different viscosity, mm -hmm. almost like a syrupy texture. Mm -hmm. And it's so lovely. And like you mentioned, Jamie, with caviar, because mm -hmm. you have that briny saltiness of the caviar yes. and then this beautiful kind of glycerin texture of the vodka that just works so beautifully. If there's a better food and drink pairing on the planet, oh. I have yet to meet I it. I don't know it either. And now you're just teasing me because that <laughs> viscous, beautiful, syrupy vodka at this hour in the morning might be hard to justify. Except in a Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I like to say enjoying a glass of vodka, it's about the journey, not the destination. 
Mm. Well, we're going to continue the journey Uh of vodka with you in our upcoming uh, two additional features as this series continues next month, February and in March. We will continue to learn about the beauty and the essence of vodka with Tony Abu Ghanem. So join us next month when Tony comes back to drink it in. We'll talk about how to enjoy vodka at its best, the different brands and styles as we continue the conversation. The book is brilliant in and of itself, and it's really an incredible introspective into vodka. It's called Vodka Distilled, the modern mixologist on vodka and vodka cocktails, written by our resident cocktail guru, as we're proud to call him, Tony Abu Ghanem. Tony, always a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your passion. We can't wait to have you back. Uh, Jamie, Lana, it is always a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, Yeah, And cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you. More on the clear spirit as we continue the culinary conversation, but don't touch your dial. There's more right after this. It's delicious. It's divine. It's food and wine. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, in your radio. We do bring you the best culinary thinkers on this show. And I'm always delighted when this genius of a chef joins us. There's no doubt that Chef Rick Bayless has done more than any other chef to introduce Americans to authentic Mexican cuisine. Along the way, he has changed Really, I would say the image of Mexican food more than anyone else. And through his cookbooks, his PBS television show, his award-winning restaurants, the four-star Topolobamba, and so many more, he has really brought us the best margaritas, guacamoles, and snacks with a traditional flair but a modernized approach. And he has changed my view of Mexican cuisine and certainly taught me so much over the nine seasons that he has aired Mexico One Plate at a Time, his PBS television series. You know him and love him from, of course, uh, Top Chef Masters on Bravo, where he beat out the French and the Italian. And it's the pomegranate walnut guacamole and the Scottish steelhead ceviche and oh, his mole negro that have made all of us fall in love with his extraordinary cuisine. We are delighted that Chef Rick Bayless joins us once again in your radio and a very happy new year to you, Chef. Glad to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you and happy new year to you as well. Well, thank you very much. Talk to us if you would. I I mean, the last time we spoke, Rick, we spoke about um, margaritas, guacamoles and snacks from Frontera and Uh your wife, Deanne, and you when you started the restaurant many, many years ago, 1987, have certainly come a long way in the unique Mexican fare that you offer. But it's your flair that I truly believe has remained consistent. And I wonder if you would talk about your cooking style and how far you've come and the philosophy behind it. You know what? I base everything that I do on traditional techniques and traditional ingredients, then once we have really established that we can do those traditional dishes well, those we can utilize those traditional ingredients and techniques as good as people do in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Then we start to look at dishes from a more contemporary perspective. And it's that that I think has set apart what we do, especially in Topolobampo, a little bit in Frontera, because, but Frontera is really a more traditional restaurant. But our goal really is to learn from the traditional cooks of Mexico 
to honor the craft that they have developed over many generations, and then to add something that we think will really express who we are and where we cook. To me, authenticity really is a lot about understanding the traditions, but expressing them in a way that is absolutely perfect for the time and place and people you're cooking for. I think that concept of authenticity that you have held so dear has been a testament to the growth of Mexican cuisine in this country, but more so the way that it's been thought of, the the interpretation that you've shared. And I wonder if you would give us a tutorial from the perspective you just shared, like from a guacamole, let's say. The idea that if you understand how to make a good guacamole, and in the book that you were referencing a few minutes ago, I give you a kind of master class in making guacamole, right. how to choose the right avocado, how to know when it's ripe enough to make guacamole, mm-hmm. what the role of lime juice is in making a guacamole, what the role of chili in cilantro and um, tomato, if you like it with tomato, um, white onion, what each one of those ingredients brings to a classic guacamole. And then... Once you understand that and you can master making a traditional one, then you can start to think about, well, you know what? I think this time instead of using white onions, I'm going to use red onions. Um, I've got a whole beautiful plant of basil in my backyard. I wonder what basil would taste like with avocados. Mm-hmm. So you, you replace your cilantro with that. You can play around with it as long as you know what you're working with. And that's why I'm always working with our cooks here and with the population in general to say, just master the basics and then you can be free to add your own personal touch to everything that you're cooking. That's what I think is so unique about your cuisine. And now that we've mastered guacamole, um, which, by the way, at Red O, of which there are two locations in Southern California, the pomegranate walnut guacamole is outrageous. The burst um, and the the juiciness of the pomegranate arils and the toasted sweetness of the walnuts that add to the textural, perfectly ripe avocado. I've never experienced such perfectly ripe guacamole as I have in any of your restaurants. It's like you talk to the avocados. I always tell everybody, go to a Mexican grocery store. If you're going to make guacamole, you're going to find the best avocados and probably the cheapest avocado if you'll go to a Mexican grocery store. Because you have to have ones that are buttery, yes. buttery in their texture mm. so that you can mash them. And then I have to say that the best um, avocados will have a slight hint of a kind of nutty flavor to them. And that's what led me down the path to the walnuts. For that, because I think there's uh, hazelnuts and walnuts are so delicious with avocado. Mm, you mash them up and you mix them into the avocado. I like the tangy burst that the pomegranate gives it. Yes. Not only that, but when you see the finished thing, it's got a holiday look to it. Let yes, me just put it that way. Beautiful. I agree. You've made me completely hungry, Chef. But by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. He is Chef Rick Bayless and Frontera Grill, the four star Topolabamba, Frontera Fresco and his Red O restaurants inspired by Rick Bayless in California, two locations. In fact, all across Chicago, he's certainly well-loved for his restaurateur excellence, I will say. And then, of course, James Beard Award winner and oh, so much more. Can you inspire us with Mole Negro? I would love to learn Uh more and understand more about it. You have mastered it. I have never wanted to lick a plate 
like literally pick up the plate and lick the sauce off of it, as I did last time I had your lamb with the mole negro. That has the most rich, extraordinary flavor, Chef. It's outrageous. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's the hardest sauce, yes, certainly in the Mexican repertoire to get right. And I didn't even do it in our restaurants in Chicago for the first 10 years that we were open because I didn't feel like I had mastered it. I couldn't get it right. First of all, you have to think about it as having basically three different groups of flavors. Now, it's a very complex sauce, and usually people will put someplace in the neighborhood of 30 ingredients in it, (laughs) and they fuse all those ingredients so that they all come together into a single specific flavor that I call the mole negro flavor. And it starts with chilies. There's a classic chilwakle chili from Oaxaca that's very hard to find in the States, but if you're going to make it in a real classic way, you got to find that chili. And then sometimes people will add other very dark chilies to it. And you have to toast those just perfectly and you (laughs) rehydrate them and grind them and strain them and cook them down. And then you're going to thicken it with nuts and seeds and usually a piece of tortilla that has been almost charred. (laughs) And then you're going to enhance all those flavors with all these different herbs and spices that go together. And then at the very end, you're going to give it the seasoning with salt, with sugar, and with a little bit of chocolate. Now, it's non-chocolate sauce, so our listeners can't go there in their minds because this is a chili sauce that has a little bit of chocolate added to it, but added to it like you would add another spice to it. So it's not a heavily chocolate, sort of chocolate-infused sauce. It's just lightly infused with the chocolate. It has the most extraordinary depth. I mean, almost as if you can specifically taste, point out, experience the different levels of flavor, the spices, the nuts, the seeds, as you spoke about. It leads me, though, to question, you have a passion for chocolate, do you not? Yes, I do. <laughs> I, have a, I have a real passion for Mexican chocolate more than other chocolate. And Mexican chocolate specifically, which we usually find in the round sort of block, right, infused yeah. with the flavor of cinnamon and traditionally used to make Mexican hot chocolate. That's correct. However, most of the varieties that you would find on the shelves in the U.S. are pretty much in the same category as what we would consider like Hershey's chocolate. So it's a type of chocolate made for the masses, and it's not expensive. Now, if you go to Oaxaca, there's a whole street of chocolate grinders, and you can go into these places, and you can buy the cacao. You can add the just the right amount of sugar for your taste. You can add almonds to it if you want. You can add cinnamon to it if you like. And then you take your mixture over to a mill, and they will grind it for, for you, you right on the spot. Oh, I have to see that. It's a remarkable thing because the smell in the street is, I would say, the most delicious smell of anywhere in the whole wide world. It's just incredible what you get, the wafting chocolate smell when you walk down that street. It's like living in Willy Wonka land. It is. Yes. Yeah, very oh, much like that. Fantastic. But it's not as weird as Willy Wonka. <laughs> Yes, but but equally delicious. There are wonderful new recipes posted at rickbayless.com as well. Season 9 from Rick's uh, award-winning television show called Mexico One Plate at a Time on your local PBS channel, of course. And then you'll certainly be 
inspired to explore the wonders of the Mexican kitchen, and you can learn more on his website. The restaurants across the country, award-winning and with great acclaim, of course, Frontera Grill, Frontera Fresco, the four-star Topolobamba, of course, the award-winning line of salsas and cooking sauces under the name Frontera as well, and then Red O in Southern California, L.A., and Newport Beach, taking the world by storm for his modernized Mexican cuisine, much loved across the country. I'm always excited when you come on, Rick, because I feel like I've added new knowledge to my culinary repertoire. And we thank Thank you, you, yes, for inspiring us. So thank you again for sharing. We appreciate it. All the best to you in 2014. Thank you. Same to you, Jamie. Thank you. We'll look forward to having you back on again. He is Chef Rick Bayless, and you heard him here. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Please don't go away. It's delicious, it's divine, it's food and wine. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio as the culinary conversation continues. Chili Heads Rejoice. This conversation is for you. It is all about the sweet heat, the hot bite, the delicious, extraordinary challenge that chili peppers bring to our palates. And it is the love of sriracha that is all the rage and the conversation. Right now, certainly because the recent judge-ordered shutdown of a sriracha factory in Irwindale, California, has heat lovers everywhere worried about where they'll get their next fix. So is there a sriracha shortage coming soon? Well, we have a brand of foods that we love that actually highlights a sriracha chili sauce in their line that I think is quite delicious, among other fabulous heat sources. And so we welcome Lisa Kartzman to the radio. She is the Director of Public Relations for American Roland Food Corporation, and she is heating things up today. And we're glad to have you, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Talk to us, if you would. Let's start off with sriracha, because I'm a sriracha lover. And by the way, I have seen people in the markets fight for the last bottle on the shelf. And there's no doubt that it's created a lot of conversation for chili heads as to what your favorite heat profile is. Why I love sriracha, I can tell you, is because it's very different than the flavored vinegar-based hot sauces that many of us know and love. It has viscosity to it, but it has history as well. So if you would, give us some background. Sriracha comes from a, a town in Thailand that is called Sriracha, hence the name of the chili sauce. And it's actually been around for quite some time, certainly in Southeast Asia. But uh, here in the United States, over the last 10 years, it continues to gain momentum. We liken it to ketchup. That's basically what's going on. So to hear you say that people are fighting over the last couple of bottles that are on the retail shelf doesn't surprise us. No, not at all. I have to say I actually read some statistics that hot sauce or chili sauces will outsell ketchup in this country like salsa has in the next five years. It's true. I think that's amazing. What will Heinz do? It's hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) I like your approach. What are your favorite things? Are you a sriracha lover, I should ask first? I'm a sriracha user. Um, I do enjoy hot sauce. I can't get beyond sriracha, but, uh, but... 
but even even I'm using sriracha on my pizza lately. I have I have given up the shaker of the red pepper flakes, and I'm now using a bottle of sriracha, which you know here in New York to find it at a regular New York pizzeria tabletop, along with all the other uh, condiments that they would have, from the garlic to the pepper, the salt, and now you have a bottle of sriracha. Wow. It's just very easy to find. I think that's really amazing. I think it says something about the culinary profile of palates today. You could come live in my house because my better half, he puts sriracha on everything too, I will say. Um, and it's become the tabletop condiment for, for many of us. But there are wonderful things to do with it. Like you mentioned, a squirt on your pizza tossed with popcorn. Sriracha popcorn, I think, right. is going to be the next big spicy cinema treat. Um, what else do you love to do with it? Or what else have you seen done from chefs and culinarians across the country? Everything from adding it into a, to just a mayonnaise to adding it to their recipe for hot wings. It's absolutely amazing what's going on. People will use it as a basic condiment to mix in as part of their sandwiches to using it as the dipping sauce for uh, fried calamari. We did a lobster roll with a sriracha aioli. Oh, I bet that was good. That oh, was, was just really terrific. Good. And then Jamie has made sriracha marshmallows. I Ooh. have. There's this something to be said for sweet heat, Lisa, that right. I love too. I actually found a fabulous list of 50 things to do with sriracha, and I featured my top 10 on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I've put a direct link as well in the feature um, to the Roland Foods page or links for social media as well. So for those of you that are trying to hound sriracha and get your fix for the coming months, uh, then you can certainly find the feed per se. Talk to us about other rising popularities, if you would, in the hot sauce world, like um, sambal olek, the chili sauce, which actually has the seeds incorporated into the sauce, which is where we know the heat comes from. The seeds in the vein of any chili is what determines its Scoville level or the units that determine its heat source, but uh, definitely a popular one when it comes to great cooks, in my opinion. It is, and it's very, very similar to sriracha. So people that are using sriracha very often are using the sambal olek as well. They'll use it in very similar ways. What our chefs do very often is that they'll use the sambal olek in a sauce. They just find it easier to use rather than the sriracha. As thick as the sriracha may seem, it's not necessarily thick enough to use in a recipe the way the sambal olek is. And then where do piri piri, Szechuan paste, um, a lot of the other heat sources that Roland offers fall into play when it comes to the level of heat, of temperature? You know, I would say certainly the Szechuan paste would be hotter. We have a habanero sauce, which is going to be very, very high on the Scoville. Um, because it is such intense heat. Uh, and then we have something that's very far below, more on the sweeter side, which would be the sweet Thai chili sauce. And, of course, that has been in the market for quite some time, and, it, and it's been very, very popular, uh, certainly in mainstream cuisine, but not as popular as what we're seeing with the sriracha. This truly is a phenomenon, and, frankly, it's really no longer a trend. 
it's now just fallen into mainstream cuisine, and the volume will continue to build from there. They are the leader in importing and marketing superior quality specialty foods, and you can learn more about Roland at rolandfood.com. You should know that they are the new source for sriracha chili sauce um, with the concern of the uh, factory shutdown in Southern California. Don't worry, you'll get your fix. And uh, hopefully from from Roland, you'll hear more about new products here in your radio as they become released. Um, And again, my top 10 Favorite things to do with Sriracha posted on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen with a direct link to find Roland Foods in your social media window as well. Lisa, always a pleasure. We hope to see you at a food show soon. And we thank you for sharing um, the the fiery side of fabulous food. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. And we hope you'll join us at the table every Sunday as we take a dip into the world of all things fabulous food. We'll leave you with our last bite, we like to call it. It's our last ounce or tidbit of culinary information. And we're all about where technology meets gastronomy today. So we kicked off January 2014 this month with a new feature on the show. It's all about our favorite websites, blogs, and apps that will bring you to a more scrumptious place, making every day more delicious. So, Lana, if you'd like to close with your pick of the week. My pick of the week is wildgreensandsardines.com. It's a fabulous website. It is the most beautiful pictures, and her writing is wonderful. It's original type of recipes with an emphasis on local ingredients. Yeah, I think it's a really fabulous find, and there's a lot to learn from it. Wonderful, wonderful. Mine, actually, this week is an app, a food app, in fact, called Fooducate, or Fooducate, like Educate, F-O-O-D-U-C-A-T-E. And it was actually named or voted one of the top fitness and health apps. It actually helps out with supermarket shopping by allowing you to scan the barcode of a product and it gives you an honest evaluation of the ingredients and the product safety. So interestingly enough, it will grade the product for you. It will tell you if it has high fructose corn syrup, if it contains any additives or trans fats. And then it will give you substitutions for other products as well. And if you do lots of food shopping, like all of us food lovers do, if you have children in the house, I think that this is an app that will make your shopping excursion a walk in the park. So check it out, Foodjucate, F-O-O-D-U-C-A-T-E. You will become an educated shopper. Yes, that you will, all about fabulous food. And that's what you get just by joining us. And so we hope uh, that we have shared some adventurous and tasteful ideas and that we've spiced up your Sunday. If you're hungry for more beautiful food, remarkable wines, and juicy conversation, then please check out the website at chefjamie.com and find me on Facebook and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen. Until next Sunday, where we'll meet you right here in your radio, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana signing off. We thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to eat well. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment.